0: Well, let's get back to Jeremiah today. We finished chapter 25 last time. I want to try to cover several chapters today. There's an encouraging one ahead of us that I want to try to get to. Uh, There is a a caution, though, in verse 2 of chapter 26. We'll get that here in a moment. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the eternal say saying to Jeremiah, of course, and we have to understand that Jeremiah actually preached for decades. But what we have here a condensed, or is a very condensed form, even though it's 52 chapters, it's a very condensed form of what Jeremiah's message was, and it is this part of his message that is pertinent for us today. Everything the man said in 23 or more years is not recorded in the Bible by any means. So, God only took those piquant parts that were necessary to be passed on to the future to be written down for us. So, he told Jeremiah, thus says the Eternal, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house, All the words that I command you to speak to them, diminish not a word. Don't underestimate or don't brush over, don't minimize anything, but say it all. You know how we sometimes can do that in our minds. We hear some things better than we hear other things, don't we? Some things we like to hear, oh yeah, we're all ears, we'll listen to that. Something we don't so much want to hear, we tend to tune out or let our mind drift away or whatever, and we selectively diminish certain things. We selectively uh, tend to uh, emphasize certain things. It's the way of human nature, the way the human mind works. So God tells Jeremiah, don't you do that. That's our tendency, and it was Jeremiah's tendency, I'm sure. But God said, this is my full message, and I don't want any of it left out. I've commented from time to time about how much material there is back here in these prophecies, and how it tends to be repeated over and over again. Why? Why not just say it once and be done with it? That's not enough for you and me. That's why God has repeated it over and over again because we are very slow to learn and very slow to change, and we are very stiff-necked, stubborn, and rebellious. We have our own approach, our own view, and we do not want to hear sometimes what God has to say. That's just the way we as humans are, and we heard that that in the sermonette. Historically, that is the case. Repetition is one of the strongest forms of emphasis. We said, don't diminish a word. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do to them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not hearken to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, To hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, and I said to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not hearkened. The law and the prophets fit together beautifully because the law tells us God's way of life. And Christ expanded upon that law in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, expanding it into the spiritual realm in a way that it was not expanded in the Old Testament to include not every action but every thought even. Actually, both now. The law is there to tell us how to live, what God's way of life is. And Christ and the apostles explained, really, the law in the New Testament church and how it applied from that time forth with the Holy Spirit and God's raising the standard higher. But the law, the very basis of God's way of life, is what it's all about. Then God sent the prophets because people would not be willing to understand or keep the law. And so we have today a situation where people are trying to diminish the law, they're trying to do away with the parts they don't like, or find a way to explain it away so they don't have to do it. But the prophets are here to tell us but that's the wrong way to go. And the prophecies get very specific in parts of God's law that people don't like or want to do away with. We all have our different approaches, don't we? Some things you don't mind doing. Other things are difficult for you. Some other people may have strengths and weaknesses in different areas than you do because we're all a little different and yet we tend to overall have the same problems when it's all said and done. So God sent the prophets to tell us of our stiff-necked, rebellious approach and how we would try to do this, that, or the other thing to find a way around those parts that do not appeal to us. But God doesn't allow that. He doesn't allow that. And someday... Those who try to find ways to circumvent different parts of God's law are going to be called to account for it. It is going to happen. You have not hearkened. Verse 6, Then will I make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Speaking of physical Israel and the church again, Shiloh, 30,000 people died in one day. That's why I keep using the example of Shiloh. It's going to be devastation. And spiritually speaking, the church is being devastated today, and the nation is about to be. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the eternal. God said, go, talk to them, don't diminish a word I have to say, tell them if they don't straighten up, I will make their temple, their house, this place like Shiloh, dead bodies littering the streets. You'd have thought that would have really gotten their attention. They said, oh man, I think we'd better repent. Wouldn't you? All right, let's read on. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words. They heard it. Verse 8, now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking. All of the eternal had commanded him to speak to all the people. But the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, You shall surely die. We are going to kill you, Jeremiah. We don't want to hear that we are going to be destroyed if we don't obey the law of God. Now, what could be more really innocuous than telling people, God who created you, desires that you live the way He wants you to live or you will die. What's so bad about that? Wouldn't that be a good thing? All God said, He put you on this earth, gave you a beautiful green place that would produce crops, would have friendly, wonderful animals, Everything was beautiful. Mosquitoes didn't bite. And the very first people they put there said, I think there's a better way. And it went downhill from there. And still today, we do not want to hear God's ways. God says keep the Sabbath. They'll keep Sunday or Wednesday or Friday. They'll depart from the true God. Kip says, keep my feast, They'll dream up Easter, Christmas, Halloween, out of Valentine's Day, you name it. He says, I gave you everything, give me 10% back. They'll try to find a way out of it. Instituted from the very beginning. Well, we don't want to give God 10% of what he has given us back we'll find a way to try to do away with that. Can't do it. Can't do it scripturally. But if you're against something and don't want to do it, you'll find a way. Whatever God says, it seems we resist. That's human nature. We just don't want to do it. Or we have our excuses, whatever they may be. But God is making the church like Shiloh. He is destroying it before our very eyes. And if we are not willing to accept his ways and all his words, not just the ones that we prefer, he will destroy us, and it doesn't make any difference where we are. Whether we're in this group, this room, today, or not, it does not matter. They wanted to kill Jeremiah, didn't want to hear what God had to say. Who has more to give us than God? Pray tell. Who can give us eternal life? Who can give us a life without any tears, any pain, any hardship, any heartache, any trouble? Who can, even in this life, give us blessings if we will turn with our whole heart to him and his word? You see, when we reject any of his words, we're rejecting him. Because he's God and those are his works. We can't be selective and say, well, I accept God. I just reject this, this, and this. Can't do that. We're to live by every word of God. None have been done away with. The principle applies in everything. So they immediately wanted to kill Jeremiah. Verse 9, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord? saying this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. Surely, they thought, this couldn't be the Word of God. We're okay. Isn't that what we hear in the church today? We're okay. Why would God do that to us? And yet it is being done to us. It's too late to say, why would God do that to us? It's already happening. And yet so many are not willing to accept what God is doing and understand is coming from him. They feel they are so special, that they are so righteous, or whatever, and have need of nothing, that God would not do this. It's really taken a lot of people by shock. A lot of them are confused by it. We aren't anymore, are we? We understand why it's happening. We understand how far it will go. And we understand how to come out on the other side smelling like a rose if we will but do what God has to say. We know the problem, we know the solution. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to kill the words that come from this book? Some of the words, the ones we don't like, and hopefully save our hides? won't happen. When the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house to the house of the eternal and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spoke the priests and the prophets to the princes and all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Do most of the ministers in the church today want to hear that we had better repent over going into the tribulation? No, they don't. They want to hear And they say it themselves so that their ears can hear it. We're okay, I'm okay, and you're okay if you're with me. Okay? That's the message they get. That's the message these people wanted to hear. So they said, this man's worthy to die, for he's prophesied. Then spoke Jeremiah 12 to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Eternal sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. (coughs) Therefore now, amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the eternal, your God. Whatever God tells us to do, he says, we'd better do it. Whether we like it or not, and maybe we'd better learn to like it. You know, I think I'm going to to become much more careful who I allow to come on this property. They had better believe the way we believe, for the most part. Now, I understand there is a learning curve, and everybody that's just coming and beginning to understand doesn't understand everything. But on the other hand, do they have a teachable attitude? If they're coming here, then they need to agree, one way or another, sooner or later, with what we teach, preach, believe, and are trying to live. If they don't, they're going to make themselves very uncomfortable, and it isn't in their best interest to come here if they're not going to agree with what we're trying to do. So do yourself a favor and don't come here unless you have a teachable attitude. The The key is attitude. It always has been. Mr. Armstrong always said, attitude is everything. If someone is willing to learn, ready to listen, recognizes someone might have been given something that is important and have a humble, teachable attitude, that can be worked with. But when people come to promote their own ideas, to teach to teach rather than be taught, and are full of vanity, ego, and spiritual pride, then they're not going to fit in too well. God gave me the information that you were hearing. It came from him. He opened my understanding to what we were teaching. Now, if you want something that fits how you think, then maybe you should go to where someone thinks like you do. Or, you need to stick your nose in here and find out if what I am preaching is true or not. If it is, get more involved. If it's not, then go find someone who agrees with you. And you'll get along much, much better with them. But be sure, whatever you do, that it's what God is saying. Better be able to find it in here. Because don't trust yourself too much. Human nature is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it, trust it, grasp it, understand it, and believe it? How badly our human nature will deceive us. And it will. God wants us to come humbly and meekly before Him, tremble at His Word, and we'd better find out where His True ministry is working today. Who is speaking the truth of this word and who is glossing over it and diminishing part of it and not willing to listen to part of it? I'll guarantee you they're going to want to kill me. I have no doubt of that. There are already people who would like to. And it's going to get worse the more we proclaim repentance, growing, and overcoming because people simply don't want to hear that. I am not going to diminish what Jeremiah or anyone else who wrote in the Bible has to say. And I'm not going to worry about whether they try to kill me or not. That's God's doing. He can keep me alive or he can allow them to kill me. That's his business. My business is to teach and preach the Word of God, as it is written. So I don't worry about that one. Well, he told them, you may want to kill me, but I'll tell you this, you better amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Eternal, your God, and maybe he will repent him of the evil that is pronounced against you. That's where we are today in the church. Will we listen or will we not? As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know you for certain that if you put me to death, you shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of the truth, the Eternal has sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. So Jeremiah was sent to speak these words God recorded them, had them written down, and he wants us to hear them today. I hope we're more receptive, I hope we're more converted, I hope we're more humble than those people were, and that we're willing to amend our ways so that God will not include us in the slaughter that is about to descend upon our people. Then said the princes and all the people to the priests and to the prophets, this man is not worthy to die for he has spoken to us in the name of the Eternal, our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah the Moristite prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps or piles of rubble. And We know Jerusalem and Zion refer first to the church in type. And we see the destruction all around us and the heaps and piles that are left. And they are too going away. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him on all to death? Did he not fear the eternal and besought the eternal and the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them? Thus we might procure great evil against our souls. Some of them were willing to say, no, we ought to listen. Those people listened in Hezekiah's day and they were saved out of the trouble that was to come upon them. So the voice of proper logic and reason was heard. And there was also, these another example, a man that prophesied in the name of the Eternal, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of who prophesied against the city and against his land, according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men, and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid, and fled, and went into Egypt. And Jehoiakim the king sent men into Egypt, namely they El Elnathan the son of Achbor, and certain men with him, unto Egypt. And they fetched forth Uriah out of Egypt, extradition if you will, uh, and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who slew him with the sword, and cast his dead body in the graves of the common people. So, there's another example of something that was done to one who brought dire news of trouble. Nevertheless, the hand of uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. So, they have two examples. One where the people repented themselves and God did not bring the danger and destruction, and one where they killed the messenger. But... That faith did not befall Jeremiah, uh, even, at, even as that example was brought up. All right, chapter 27. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word to Jeremiah from the eternal, say, Thus says the eternal to me, Make you bonds and yokes, and put them upon your neck. Make some loops and ropes, maybe some bonds like uh, uh, yokes that you put over oxen. Or the yoke, like you put people in yokes. Uh, these these were to be. This was to be acted out in time. Send them to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyre, and to the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. In other words, send them all about the country, to the Gentiles around you, as well as to the nations of it, the people of Israel. And command them to say to their masters, so he says, take these servants, these messengers, from all these countries, make yokes, make bonds, and send these messengers to tell their kings, their rulers, their leaders about them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground. By my great power, by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed meet to me. Whoever God felt fitting, he gave various parts of the earth to. That's really kind of the thought I started out with, isn't it? Here's the great God of all the universe who has given us everything we have. We should pay attention to him. That's what Jeremiah is saying. You people pay attention to Almighty God who made it all. Now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servants, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. I heard a sermon one time where someone tried to say that Nebuchadnezzar must have really been special because he was a servant of God. Now, he was not a servant in the same way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were servants of God. Nebuchadnezzar was a tool whereby God punished his people. That's how he served God's purposes. It wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar was special himself, or what he was doing was special. I think the one who gave that message did not really understand. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. He is taken away, and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. They'll, and he's been dining on them. It'll be taken away, and they will dine on him for a change. That's what happened and did, and it is going to happen again. It shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that will not put their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon. That nation will I punish, says the Eternal, with the sword, and with famine and with pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. There are many prophecies about the end time having to do with Israel that talk about famine, pestilence, disease, and destruction. Now, it says all these peoples were to serve Nebuchadnezzar to come under the yoke of Babylon. Now, does that contradict all the other scriptures we've been reading? about coming out of Babylon. And in fact, we're about halfway through the book of Jeremiah, and the last two, well, two of the last three chapters have to do strictly with coming out of Babylon. (coughs) So what's the deal here? Here, as we read on, it will seem to indicate that we're supposed to come under the king of Babylon. What's the answer to that? can be confusing if we don't sort it all out. Verse 9. Therefore hearken not to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor your sorcerers, which speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. <laughs> Is this a contradiction? Are we supposed to preach serve Babylon or don't serve Babylon? We have to understand history to understand what is being said here. For so they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land, and that I should drive you out, and you should perish. Now, there was a time when God said, I'm going to send you to Babylon into captivity, and you're to be there 70 years. So, Jeremiah is talking about the beginning of that time here. Here. And then at the end of Jeremiah, he's talking about the 70 years being ended, and it was then time to come out of Babylon. Now let's see how our situation fits that picture. We are a church born in Babylon. Now there you had Israel in existence before the 70 years began. And they were to exist physically after the 70 years ended. But we are at the time when there is an end of human history on this earth apart from God. We are at the culmination of the plan, not somewhere in the beginning or the middle of it. So, we came into God's church, departing spiritually from Babylon, and yet at the same time, it was not time to come completely away from it and try to divide, divest ourselves of it entirely, we were to live and work in Babylon and try to be Christians under those circumstances. And we didn't do too well. We became complacent and laid as sin and proud, as we have a proud nation. We're proud of where we're from, we're proud of whatever. Proud of ourselves for whatever reason. That pride has to go away. But we were born here, just like some of those Jews were born in Babylon right after they got there. And for 70 years then they were to build houses, they were to live there, and submit. Now, we saw that in the New Testament. It wasn't time for the early New Testament church to go completely away from that society. They stayed within the cities. They had their church services in homes in the cities. Uh, They had to deal with the world around them, and yet God was not taking them out of it at that time. But they had extreme difficulty not following their old customs and their old ways in the society and culture around them. So they were constantly admonished not to act as they used to before they were converted all through the New Testament. And Christ said to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, remember the coin. And that Paul spoke there in the book of Romans quite clearly that they were to honor and give respect to those who had been put in charge. In other words, they were to dwell there, they were to accept the government that was around them, not be in opposition to it, not become militiamen or skinheads or sovereign citizens or whatever you might want to go after that is not what God desired of them. Live peaceably within the system, pay your taxes, give them the respect that they are due and that God allowed them to be there. And up to this point, that's where we've been in this nation. The church was born here. A great work was done with this nation, America as the basis for that, and we had to have the Babylonian dollar, we had to have the Babylonian culture and society and broadcast and TV ability to accomplish that. So, God let us do that work while we were yet in the captivity of Babylon. And here we have been now for approximately 70 years. So, Jeremiah 26 and 27 was speaking historically to those Jews taken physically captive, but it's also speaking to us who have been in the captivity of it, under its rule, these 70 years of the end time church. So he's telling us what our attitude was to be while we were here, and the New Testament backs that up. Then we have additional information that tells us what to do when the 70 years are finished which I believe that they are or about to be. So he said, Go ahead and live under the yoke of the king of Babylon, verse 12, and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, though you and your people by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation, will not serve the king of Babylon? Now we need to keep in mind also that Washington, D.C., was formed and established by Babylonians. Freemasons laid out the city. They laid out the Roman uh, architecture of the city. It all came from the Babylonian system. Our culture, our holidays, everything that was brought in and became a part of our culture, it has its basis in paganism. Even the founding fathers of our country who understood something about a God who was a creator and considered the Bible in laying out the government of this country still were not truly Christians, most of them. There may have been a few who were, but most of them were not. They were Masons, and they were pagans, and they were Protestant Christians. And Protestant Christians do not know who the true God is. They are like Jesus told the Jews, you worship you know not what. His servant you are to whom you obey. And they have always obeyed Satan's way. That's what our culture is based upon. So, yes, God gave this land to Israel, but Israel did not bring God's government. Israel did not bring God's customs. Israel did not bring God's word, in terms of obedience, into this nation. Why will you die? Therefore, hearken not to the words of the prophets that speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Those people were told that they were to go to Babylon and live there seventy years. But that was their punishment. And if they stayed behind, they would be destroyed. And many of them were. Like Ebeliah, who was there to lead the ones who had been left behind. He was killed. In other words, we have to listen to what God has to say. There was a time here in the church of God at the end that we needed to go ahead and knuckle under and do what has been set before us And come under this yoke. There is a time, like Isaiah 52, where he says, break the yoke from off your neck. Don't lay down and be walked on anymore, but break it. But let's continue with the story of where we have been so that we can better understand where we are headed. See, verse 16, also I spoke to the priests and all his people saying, thus says the eternal, hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy to you, saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Now, what was happening was there was another prophet in the land who was saying that Jeremiah was wrong. And we're about to get to his prophecy. So whatever Jeremiah said, this other guy would stand up and dispute. So, Jeremiah is having to emphasize what the truth really is. Yes, God indeed said you will be in captivity 70 years, no matter what others may say. There are a lot of ministers and a lot of organizations in the church today who say their organizations are not going to be destroyed to go to a place of safety because they are the Philadelphians. And they are prophesying a lot for the most part. Those organizations will be torn down until not one stone is left upon another. That's the prophecy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24. So there are those who would tell you everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. The church is going to be destroyed and the nation is going to be destroyed. Don't let anyone tell you difference, or differently, to speak properly. They'll tell you, verse 17, hearken not to them, serve the king of Babylon, and live. Wherefore should this city be laid waste? But if they be prophets, and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the eternal hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, go not to Babylon. Well, if they did, would that have done any good? No, it happened. The vessels of the temple went to Babylon. For thus says the Eternal of Hosts, concerning the pillars and concerning the sea, and concerning the bases and concerning the residue vessel of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not, when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah in Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the eternal host, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the eternal and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. <laughs> they shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day that I visit them, says the eternal. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. But he said, you're going to stay there till I spring you. You're going to stay there the full 70 years like I said you would how many false starts if we had that we were going to go to a place of safety? 72 was the biggie. Supposed to leave in 72 and it was all going to be over by 75. We didn't understand we had to stay under the bond of Babylon for 70 years. We tried to get out about 30 years early. Didn't happen. Wouldn't happen. Couldn't happen. We didn't understand the scriptures as they have been laid out right here. Just didn't get it. So we thought seventy-two, and then some said eighty-two, and then others said different times, a different you know, we were always on the gun lap and we're always going to go to a place of safety. And there are even organizations now who are telling you we're going next year or we're going next spring or whatever. And the, the years and the springs and the Passovers keep going and keep going, and they haven't gone yet. and maybe they won't go. Maybe they'll be left behind and go into the tribulation because of being deceived. God said it was going to be here seven years. We just didn't understand. <clears throat> All right, chapter 28. It came to pass, same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, King of Judah, in the fourth year and the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azar, the prophet, which was of Gideon, spoke to me in the house of the eternal, in the presence of the priests, of all the people saying. So, <laughs> here's this naysayer who had a different message than Jeremiah's. And he stood up in front of everybody to say it. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, here's the prophecy of Hananiah, a false prophet. Now, he says, here is the word of God. And it wasn't the word of God. We must be careful. We must be careful. This man thought he had the word of God. He trusted in his own ideas. And he had not been given the word of God from God. Well, here's his prophecy. I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah, that went into Babylon, says the eternal, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. He's speaking for God here. He keeps invoking God's name and saying he has a message from God. Boy, we better be careful. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the eternal. Even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. So it's say on, brother. You think that's right? Maybe it'll happen? More power to you? Whatever. But hear this. Verse 7. Nevertheless, hear you now the word that I speak in your ears and in the ears of all the people. Well and good what you think is your message from God. The prophets that have been before me and before you of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet was prophesied of peace when the word of the prophet shall come to pass. Then shall the prophet be known that the Lord has truly sent him. So be careful. You're preaching peace here and just a short captivity of two years and everything will be fine and hunky-dory again. If that happens, then we'll listen to you. We're all going to a place of safety next year. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to have peace. If it happens, listen. If it doesn't happen, begin to scratch your head and say, I wonder if this is the word of the Lord. Now, somebody, sometime, somewhere, is going to a place of safety, if accounted worthy. I just use that as an example. We have to be very, very careful. We've made some pretty strong pronouncements in the past, and some of them are still being made. But are they coming right out of the Scripture? Do they reflect Scripture? Or do they reflect people's own imaginations and their own ideas based on who they think they are? Then as the prophet, took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. He didn't like Jeremiah's message that he was going to have to wear a yoke based on a 70-year captivity. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. He, he's pretty adamant, isn't he? Thus says the Lord. Well, Even so, will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. Now, he'd made his prophecy. Jeremiah had contradicted him. We so stood up. And repeated it all over again. The prophet Jeremiah went his way. He said, ah, well, I'm out of here. I've said what I had to say. You're on your own. Now, God spoke to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, now, that might have been a relief to Jeremiah in a way. You're going to wear this wooden yoke around your neck. <laughs> and here this guy breaks it and knocks it off. Huh, that's nice. But that isn't what God had in mind. He said, go, tell Hananiah, say, thus says the Lord. <laughs> Use his own words, honey. Now, you tell him, here is the thus says the Lord. The God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given them the beasts of the field also. God is the one who has allowed the Babylonian empire To take over Israel. And God is the one who is going to cause Babylon to be destroyed when the time comes. But in the meantime, it is God's decree that America, as the modern day Babylon, would rule over these peoples and they would have to do what we say. And it's going to be that way until God destroys our country. And it's Babylonian whites. And I don't think it's far off, because we, the spiritual people of God, have been living under Babylonian rule now for about 70 years. So, God decreed that up to a certain point, this nation, would do as it pleased on the earth, and everyone would have to go under. And they did. Whether militarily, politically, or however. But that is coming to an end. Then said the prophet Jeremiah to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Eternal has not sent you, but you make this people to trust in a lie. You'll be delivered in two years. Don't worry, everything will be fine. Not so. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will cast you from off the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Eternal. We better be careful what we say in the name of God. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. And he quit saying, thus says the Lord, and giving a false message. Now, God will use chapter 29 to reiterate the truth of the matter. Now, these are the words of the eternal. Why did God put that in there? Because here at the end, when anyone stands up and preaches death and destruction, and that the peace that we have had these years under Babylon is going to go away and our nation is going to go under, people will not want to hear it. They do not want to hear the pronouncements God has made against spiritual Zion and Jerusalem and Israel either. They don't want to hear it. It destroys their sense of peace and blessing from God and living under His grace, and everything's going to be just fine with us. It's not going to be that way. So God put this in here to say there would be those who will try to give you a soft message. And that's mentioned in other places. They want to hear the smooth, easy things. They really wanted to hear Tananiah, didn't they? But God told him he'd die, and he did, and that stopped. So I think it's a very good lesson that God put that chapter in there to show that there was opposition to Jeremiah, but God's will prevailed. He is the God of heaven and earth and creation. And his words that he's written here cannot be denied. Okay, now these are the words, chapter 29, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captives from Jerusalem to Babylon. He was still in Jerusalem, and he sent a letter to everyone that had been taken away. After the Chechnya, the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar came, destroyed the city, took most of the people captive, and Jeremiah was left among them. And then it gives names of people who were involved. Going to verse 4, Thus says the Eternal Host, the God of Israel, to all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's a message to them. Build new houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take you wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, grandchildren, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Don't go on a birth control spin while you're there. Go ahead and reproduce. And isn't that basically what we, in a sense inadvertently, did During these 70 years. We built houses. We built businesses. We continue to live on. Yet trying to obey God in it. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the eternal for it. Doesn't the New Testament tell us? Pray for kings and rulers and so on. that have authority over us. For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. Your living with them, adjacent to them, in the captivity of them, and servants to them, try to dwell in peace. And God says in the New Testament again, With all that is in you possible, live peaceably with all men, even those pagans to whom you are in captivation. That's where we hit there. For thus says the eternal host, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the eternal. For thus says the Lord, again using the expression Hananiah had borrowed, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. Now, the church has been in captivity of Babylon and dwelling under its roof for about 70 years. And God says, I will return you. Now, spiritually, we have been being taken captive and destroyed at the end of that 70 years. But God says he will bring us back again, at least the faithful remnant, as other scriptures show, after 70 years have expired. Now, Babylon was destroyed, historically, and two years later, Darius the Mede gave permission for those people to go back to Jerusalem and build it. So, sometime after the 70 years are done, and that is the benchmark Uh, probably fairly soon after the 70 years is done, not perhaps to the day, but after the 70 years is expired, God said, I will perform my good word and the blessings I've said. Now, we don't need to go back there, but just as a brief review, Zechariah 1 is the introduction in the middle of the book of Haggai, Zechariah starting in the middle of Haggai's writing, of an end-time scenario in which the church would be destroyed, and people would be saying it isn't time to build a temple, but God said it must be built, and the end-time church is mentioned in Zechariah 1. It goes on in chapters 3 and 4 and 6 to talk about the two witnesses and the job that has to be done at the end of the age, and it includes 70 years being finished in Zechariah 1, And then, chapters 2, 3, and 4, moving on, about getting out of Babylon, fleeing from it, and building villages in the field whereby people might get away from Babylon, just as those Jews who had been in physical captivity 70 years were then freed to go back to Jerusalem if they so desired. Most did not want to do it. In this end time, most will not want to do it. They will not be willing to listen to what God has to say. But the 70 years are tied very closely to the end-time church is the point that I'm making. So when it's mentioned here, understand that when Daniel wrote about it in Daniel 9, he referred back to having read Jeremiah. And Daniel is very much an end-time book. And Zechariah 1 is very much an end-time book. And those two very closely tie... Uh, 70 years to the end-time church, as does Jeremiah 7 and 8, which talks about fasting during those 70 years. So, it is an end-time prophecy for us. And he says that he will cause a return of the remnant here in the end-time after 70 years is finished. They so will be able to leave Babylon, will be able to serve God without being under their rule anymore. And in fact, if you read Matthew and Revelation and Daniel, they will come and try to kill us all. So, we cannot live peaceably with Babylon anymore. The paths are diverging very rapidly. And if we think that we can live in peace in Babylon as we have all these years in the church, we're kidding ourselves and we don't understand prophecy at all. Most of the churches and organizations in the ministry think that they can continue on preaching the gospel to the world as a witness, and one day they're all going to go to a place of safety. That's not what these scriptures say. It's just not what they say. God said, after 70 years, I'll perform my good work to you in causing you to return to this place. Now, if he ties it to the 70 years and it's shortly thereafter, even if it, even as it was within two years after Babylon fell anciently, then it has to happen fairly soon, after the seven years in this end time, expire. Verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. God knows his own mind. He said, you may not understand, but he said, I know the things I think about you. Now, he's given us some very dire prophecies, hasn't he? But he said, my desire, my will, my purpose in the end is good for you. If you'll just do what I say. I know I have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I really have your best interests in mind. What does the New Testament say? All things work together for good for those who love the eternal and fulfill his purposes. Bad paraphrase, but that's close. Then shall you call upon me, verse 12, and you shall go and pray to me, and I will hearken to you. Won't it be nice when this turns around and you get on your knees and you pray to God, and God actually... Hearkens and does. Instead of so much the last so many years, we get on our knees and pray, and nothing much happens. That's going to change. Going to change. He turns his face to us and not us. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. There's a contingency here. We may think we're doing it with our whole heart, but we have to consider how deceitful and desperately wicked human nature is. And we're, when we're willing to bypass or minimize some of the words of God, the ones that we don't like, and find a way around them, then we're not seeking God with our whole heart. We still have an attitude. We may think we are, but are we truly? In the way that he wants. That's the question. But he says when that happens. When we truly seek him with our whole heart. We will find him. And I will be found of you. Says the eternal. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations. From all the places where I've driven you. Says the eternal. And I will bring you again into the place where I cause you to be carried away captive. People have been leaving the church, cut off from the church, leaving the doctrines of God wholesale by the tens of thousands over the last 20 years. God's going to regather the faithful remnant of that church. Other places tell us that. And this tells us not in quite those same terms, but we'll go back where we came from, to the true church, But we'll have a different attitude. See, it's all about attitude, isn't it? What's different between someone seeking God with his whole heart and someone who is doing it feignedly with lip service? Attitude. It's what it all has to do with. Your attitude determines how well you will do what God says to do. So he wants an attitude check. Isn't that really what he's trying to do with Israel? We go through this horrible tribulation. We as a people today will go anywhere but to God. We'll go to gay parades. We'll go to Sunday meetings. We'll go to Halloween parties, New Year's parties. We'll do everything contrary to God. And then expect that God will bless this Christian nation. And pray it. At athletic events and operas or wherever. Not going to happen. He promises we will obey with our whole heart. He'll restore us. Verse 15, because you have said, the Lord has raised us up prophets in Babylon. Know that thus says the Eternal of the King that sits upon the throne of David, and of all the people that dwell in this city, and of your brethren that are gone, not gone forth with you into captivity. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. God invokes his promises to David, and says, but they will go into captivity. Now, there are those today who say they have the key of David. And that they will not go into captivity. We shall see. Verse 17. Thus says the eternal host, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the, sword, the famine, the pestilence, they'll be like vile pigs, and they cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Referring back to chapter 24. And I will persecute them with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence. I will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, an astonishment, a byword, to be hissed at, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Americans are already hated. Then they will be despised and booed and hissed at, along with the rest of Israel. Because they have not hearkened to my word, says the Eternal, which I sent to them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but you would not hear, says the Eternal. Just as we in the church did not go back and examine Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the other prophets very carefully and see what God had to say to the church. And we have been scattered in a spiritual famine and pestilence. Are we hearing and eating. It's happened to us. Will we come out on the other side of this with different attitudes? Be teachable and humble and meek and ready to listen. You see, that's what God's going to do physically with our peoples of Israel. They're going to physical famine, pestilence, and, and captivity. And the ones that survive will come out with a whole different attitude on the other end of that tribulation. When Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to set up the millennium, they're going to be saying, Wow! We'll do anything you say. And not only that, it won't just be lip service. It will be very heartfelt. Because they will have just gone through the worst time that human beings have ever experienced. And they'll come out on the other side with a different attitude. Now, we have people in the church today who are still proud and full of ego and think they have the messages from God. They don't fit the Bible. Their attitudes haven't changed yet. So you know what God's going to do? He's going to keep the pressure on. Until the attitudes change, there will be no let up. The destruction and confusion will continue. It will continue on past, it appears, even the beginning of the building of the latter temple and three major organizations will come down, as per Zechariah 11, somewhere down the road. may not be destroyed immediately, but even as God begins to work somewhere, there are three major organizations, three major prophecies or ministries, that are going to still come down till there's nothing left, and go right on into the tribulation. Where was I here now? Wouldn't hear the prophets. Verse nineteen, verse twenty. Hear you, therefore, the word of the eternal. You of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. We're in the captivity, the end of the church, of the destruction. Our destruction comes at the end of the 70 years. Theirs came at the beginning, but the 70 years is still the pivotal point. Thus says the eternal host, the God of Israel, of behalf the son of Paliah, the son of Zedekiah, the son of Masseyiah, Mas- 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 which prophesied a lie to you in my name, Behold, I will deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and like Ahab whom the king of Babylon, roasted in the fire. The ministry, by and large, most of it, will go into the tribulation and be roasted in the fire. Unless we repent, that's where we'll be. Roasted like pigs on a spit. We don't separate the clean from the unclean. while will roast like the unclean. Because they have committed villainy in Israel, and have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, just as Hananiah did. Even I know, and am a witness, says the Eternal. God sees it all. He knows what's going on in the churches, physical and spiritual adultery, and lying words in his name. Thus you shall also speak to Shemiah, the Nehelamite, saying, Thus speaks the eternal hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Because you've sent letters in your name unto all the people that are in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Massiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests in the the stead of Jehoiada the priest, that you should be officers officers in the house of the eternal for every man that is mad and makes himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. I don't know whether we have anybody that makes themselves preachers and prophets today or not. Do we? Now therefore, why have you not reproved Jeremiah of Anakot, which makes himself a prophet to you? He's saying that Jeremiah is like everybody else. He's making himself a prophet. But you know, somewhere along the line, God has his, and men have theirs. Some men will make themselves prophets and preachers, and others, God makes prophets and preachers. We'd better be sure, before we declare ourselves teachers, Paul warns of that. Be not many teachers. They will receive double condemnation and judgment. Much harsher. He's saying, well, Jeremiah, you're just one of those who made yourself a prophet. Well, it'll all sort out, won't it? Verse 28, For therefore he sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build you houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Here's somebody who didn't like Jeremiah's letter to the people saying, you're going to be there 70 years, settle down. You're not coming back in a couple of years like Hananiah or others might say. And Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the ears of Jeremiah the prophet. Now we longed, didn't we? Didn't we have itching ears when they said it's time to go to a place of safety in 66, 7, 8, 9, up till 72? Didn't we say, oh boy, that's the prophecy I want to hear. We're getting out of here wrong. Didn't fit the scripture. Didn't happen. So he said, telling you it would be a long time, and he said, don't believe it. Forget Jeremiah. Verse 29, Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the ears of Jeremiah the prophet. Now Jeremiah had been saying it over and over, and Hananiah died, and yet they were still discrediting Jeremiah. Then came the word of the eternal to Jeremiah saying, Send all of them of the captivity saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemiah, the Nehelamite, because that Shemiah has prophesied to you, and I sent him not, and he caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, I will make, <coughs> behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite and his seed. He shall not have a man to dwell among this people, neither shall he behold the good that I will do for my people, says the Eternal, because he has taught rebellion against the Eternal. He said, Jeremiah, I told you it'd be 70 years. You wrote them. You told them that. That's the way it's going to be. And this man isn't going to be there. He set himself up to have a different message. He said it came from God. It's going to happen. Now, I want to go into chapter 30 because there's a lot of hope in it after this. Got to believe the 70 years are important. That's what I, I guess I would summarize these last three or four chapters. The 70 years is brought up twice, chapter 25 and 29, and that dovetails with Zechariah 1 and Daniel 9, and it is important for today. And at the end of this, we're going to see again reference made that we're going to understand it at the end of time. It is written for now, but this 70 years that we're reading about isn't just ancient history. It's a now thing. And I believe that we're at the end of it. All right, let's go on. Chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the eternal saying, Thus speak the Lord God of Israel. So, the the false prophets will stand up and tell you, Peace, peace. There won't be any. You're going to have problems. Then I will deliver. So, he reiterates it. This is the way it's going to be in spite of all that others might say. Ah, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write you all the words that I have spoken to you in a book. Why write it? So others, sometime down the line, can read it. For lo, or behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, says the Eternal, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. It will be given the church back, but it will be in a different form, and it will be far better. Just as physical Israel can come back to their physical lands after the great physical tribulation and repopulate and reproduce upon it. And these are the words that the Eternal spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Now that's speaking to the church, Israel and Judah spiritually speaking here at the end. We must get that point. It's all written for us. See, we can't wait until a millennium, brethren. We can't wait. We have to be ready before then. We have to be teachers and kings and priests in the millennium. We have to get ready, be prepared, and be blessed before that ever comes. We have to be prepared to be the leaders when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and takes us back up to the heavens to be married to it. And those people going to the millennium aren't surprised. The bride has to be prepared ahead of time. We have to be ready. That's why he deals with us first, to get the leadership ready. Then he will deal with the physical nation and change their attitude. Now, I'll tell you this. If our attitudes don't change, we will not be in the first resurrection as first fruits and the bride of Jesus Christ, we won't be there unless our attitudes are different than what they were in Worldwide Church of God twenty years ago. We thought we were righteous, but we weren't. We were lay a sin, lackadaisical. Christ will not marry a ho-hum bride. He wants an eager, excited bride whose attitude is in it. That's what he's said. Now, if we want to hem and haw around, if we want to rebel, if we want to diminish some of his words, and we want to nurse a bad attitude about Worldwide or Herbert Armstrong or the ministry or Whatever, misuse of funds or whatever we want to nurse, we won't be there. Our attitude must change to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? We cannot go on like we were, we cannot go on like we are. We must change our attitudes. God blew us apart because of our attitudes. Verse 4 of chapter 30. These are the words that the Eternal spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. The church verse. Okay? For thus says the Eternal, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Are you hearing today a voice of trembling and of fear or of peace? What are you hearing from the words of Jeremiah? Ask you now and see whether a man does prevail with child. And when we hear fear and trembling in the church and in ourselves, look around. Do we see a man that's about to have a child? Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great. So that none is like it. it, is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The church is in trouble, we'll be saved out of it if we're faithful. Israel is in trouble, but we'll be saved out of it ten percent. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the eternal host, that I will break his yoke from off your neck and will burst your bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up to them. God is going to make a difference here at the end, brethren. He's told us, go ahead and live under the government that you're under. Live peaceably with all men. Get along with them. Pray for your leaders. But there comes a point where God is going to break that yoke off our necks. And we will be free to obey and serve the Lord God Almighty without any interference from anyone. He will be a wall of fire around us and a covert from the heat. It says back in Isaiah, a man will be a protection from the tempest and from the storm. So God will use men and he will use his mighty hand as well to make sure But we have the capacity, the opportunity to obey God without interference. Babylon will not be allowed to interfere whatsoever. That time is coming soon. Break the bonds off your neck. But he tells us in Isaiah 52 that we're supposed to be breaking the bonds. But we're to get away. And we're going to find out as we go on through Jeremiah. We'll be given that same advice a little later on. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up to them. God is going to send us leaders at the end time who will have the attitude of David, who will gently lead help guide us in the truth. Now, we must be warned ahead of time, but it's going to turn more kindly at some point. Now, with physical Israel, the original David is going to be raised up from the dead to be their king. But in the meantime, God is going to use, with the church, his own leaders, and we already know where they're going to come from based on Zechariah 3 and 4 and on the book of Haggai. Therefore, fear you not, O my servant Jacob, said the Eternal, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. God will protect his remnant church when he puts it back together. Just as he will protect Israel in the millennium. For I am with you, says the eternal, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you. So it has to be talking about the end time uh, when we have all been scattered. Yet will I not make a full end of you, but I will correct you in measure and will not leave you altogether unpunished. So God is punishing us but he's not going to give us the ultimate punishment that is death. He'll be more merciful than that. <laughs> For thus says Eternal: Your bruise is incurable, your wound is grievous. In other words, without God, we can't do it. We have to turn to God. You can't change yourself just by human will. We must go to God and receive His help. Otherwise, we're incurable. Our wound is grievous It'll kill us. Turn to God with our whole heart. what he tells us. Because he is the only one that can help us change. If you think you can just change, we're not the mighty and the noble. We don't have that good a control of ourselves. Go to God. Get help. Change. There is none to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. There's no solution. There's nothing that will fix us other than turning to God with our whole heart. All your lovers have forgotten you. They seek you not. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of your iniquities because your sins were increased. Is anybody coming to the aid of the church? Is it scatters apart? Is anyone offering a helping hand? Is anyone saying, Here, I'll I'll heal your wound. I'll fix you. Nah, they don't care. It's just going away. You think anybody's going to come to physical Israel's help when she goes under? Here, I'll help you. No way. We're going into captivity. <clears throat> it may seem cruel. It may seem like God is being cruel to some people. Well, no, my God's not like that. No, maybe your God isn't, but the God Almighty of creation is. And he is going to put it on us until we repent. Then he'll let up. Why do you cry for your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable for the multitude of your iniquity, you know. Why do you whine and plead and say, woe is me? God says, it's your own fault. You're responsible. This is only happening to you because your attitude's not right. Don't each and every one of us have all kinds of debilities and sicknesses and illnesses and wounds and problems. Yes, we do. We're not going to be healed. We'll become humble. It's just fact. What he says. And because your sins were increased, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all of the, all they that devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil you shall be a spoil. And all that prey upon you will I give for a prey. So Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant for a little while to punish Israel. But what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? The Assyrian came and punished Israel at one point. But what happened to the Assyrian? We're going to have people who destroy the church. We're going to have people who destroy the nation. And then what's going to happen to them? They, in turn will be destroyed because we are God's people, such as we are. But God has kind thoughts about us, he's already said. Now let's go on. Verse 17. For I will restore health to you, and I will heal you of your wounds, says the eternal. There's nothing else that's going to heal us. We have no healing medicines. We can't cure our own grievous wounds. God will do it. Because they call you an outcast, saying, this is Zion whom no man seeks after. Who cares about worldwide church of God and its branches anymore? They're outcasts. Maybe even more particularly, (laughs) those who comprise the virgin daughter of Zion will really be looked down upon. Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will bring aback, or bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents. so that is, I will remove the captivity, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be built upon our own heap. Out of the pile of debris that is worldwide today, God is going to raise a remnant church. Same pile of people. Some will survive spiritually and others will not. Just as Physical Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in the end, and a new city built there. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. God is going to take something small and make it larger. Ezekiel 17 says, after Tkach, or Armstrong and Kakash die in Babylon, and Joe Jr. shakes hands but denies God's way. God will take a tender branch from a dead tree, and the dead tree will blossom. Same type of language here. They shall not be few. I will also glorify them. They shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before time, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all that oppress them. What are the two witnesses going to do when they go out? Fire will destroy anyone who tries to hurt them. God's people are going to be protected. Those who are supporting that end time work will be protected. Their nobles shall be of themselves. They're not going to be ruled over by someone else, but those that God appoints will be from that heap of people at the end time. There are those to this day that are preaching that the physical governor of the country of Israel over there today and the chief priest or head rabbi of the Jews are going to be the two witnesses. They're not even converted. There are major preachers in the church of God today preaching that to this day. No, God says it's going to be from our own little pile of ashes that are left when God gets done destroying the church. The leaders will be from ourselves. Their governors shall proceed from the midst of them. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach to me. For who is this that engages his heart to approach to me, says the Eternal? Who, who is it that will before, go before God and approach him as our governor? Actually, the New English Bible, where it says, I will cause him to draw near, the New English Bible translates that, I will cause them to draw near. So it may be, include two, not just one. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the eternal goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. God is going to be like a hurricane to this world. The fierce anger of the eternal shall not return until he have accomplished it. In other words, he's not going to his anger won't dissipate until he's done what he has said he will do. And until he have performed the intents of his heart, in the latter days he shall understand it. Here we are in the latter days. Now we are beginning to truly understand what God is going to do in the church and in the world before we kind of understood what he'd do in physical Israel. Now we understand more what he will do in the church. It says, In the latter days you shall consider it. Now I ask you, who are the latter-day saints? Not the Mormons. They've taken a name. But God applies only to his true sainthood. His called out ones, Brethren, we are the latter-day saints. We in the church of God. And if we obey and serve God with our whole heart, we'll become the bride of Christ. We have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to be those who survive and are regathered when Jerusalem, the church, has been torn down in heaps with nothing but a pile of junk left. Out of that, God is going to produce leadership For the end-time church is a witness against this world. It's coming soon to the theater near you.